0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that as we hear it read and proclaimed this morning, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us minds to understand, you would give us hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. God, that we would not miss what it is that you are saying to us or why you're saying it. Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you. Lord, we ask that you would come and work repentance into our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see you as you are, with outstretched arms, a loving heart, and power to save. Lord, we pray you would help us to see Jesus as the friend of sinners and to follow him more faithfully. And so as we have received him, we ask you would strengthen us to walk in him, to depend on him, to commune with him, and to be conformed to him. We ask you would give us an experience of your grace that makes us bold for others, that we might joyfully tell our friends and neighbors of your saving mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We do you have uh, this morning our Old Testament? lesson from Deuteronomy 18. But it's Deuteronomy 18 uh, verses 14 through 22. And as we have uh, read from Deuteronomy before, you may remember that Deuteronomy is written, uh, this is what's going on context-wise, is the people who have come out of slavery in Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai, then they came uh, to the edge of the promised land, but they didn't go in. They were afraid to go in, and uh, they trusted in kind of their own eyes more than in the God who called them and promised them he was going to give them this land. And so uh, instead of going into the land, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness until that generation had died. And the next next generation is getting ready to go in. And so as they're getting ready to go into this promised land, then Moses says, before you go in, remember, remember who God is, who has called you, who has promised this to you. Remember that he is the God who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Remember the ways in which he has told you to walk so that when you get in this land, that is what you will do. And so as a part of all this, uh, we have Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 14. It says, the nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. All right. New Testament lesson is actually from Acts chapter 26. Uh, verses 12 through 23, and this is when Paul is on trial in Caesarea before heading to Rome. And as he's explaining his experience, here's part of what he says. This is Acts chapter 26, verses 12 through 23. He says, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and and in all Judea, And then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it is. It is nice to be outside for worship service, isn't it? It is wonderful. It is really good to be out here in the midst of creation. Now, I will. It's kind of a weird time to bring this up, but have you ever noticed the uh, the the decoration and the interior design and the architecture of the sanctuary? where we typically gather for worship. And if you have never been into our sanctuary, come next week, you'll see what I'm talking about. If you're a member of another church, go check out the sanctuary there, and you'll see what I'm talking about. The idea of the way that pretty much every sanctuary is designed is it is to draw your attention somewhere, right? And for some, in some sanctuaries, it is uh, to kind of... the lord's table or the altar or uh to the pulpit or the preaching of the word or it is uh the cross itself like there's there's somehow somewhere that it is to draw your attention somewhere and it's always supposed to be somehow godward right with jesus at the center so you can think about your own sanctuary uh and ha- the ways in which that does that but that's the idea so when you walk into that space that you are actually More in mind of uh, who God is and what He's done for you, just because of the way that the the items in that room are laid out, than you know when you go to Walmart. Not that you shouldn't be mindful of God and what He's done for you there, you should. (laughs) But the space is not as conducive for that, is it? (laughs) Okay, so we're outside. We don't have that. What do we have? Is this space better or worse for drawing our attention to God? I mean come on. <laughs> we this is nothing against architects or interior designers who do a wonderful job in designing sanctuary, but it's it's hard to compete with the master, right? This is what in Psalm nineteen it says uh well not eighty seven. It's saying that wherever you look throughout all of creation... You know how they say a picture is worth a thousand words? Wherever you look in creation, it is a picture that is declaring... Even without words, declaring the glory of God. And so when we come out here... And anytime that you are outside, day or night... Anytime that you are uh, outdoors... You are in the midst of God's creation. And therefore... It's saying something to you about who God is, and it is declaring His glory. And we just sang the song, uh, How Great Thou Art. You've got the words there with you. You've got those to take home with you. Keep those. That's good stuff. It's it's exactly what I'm talking about right now. That <clears throat> it goes through kind of verse by verse, and talking about the... Um, the ways in which being in creation, when I consider what all You've made, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! Right, that this is the response when you see uh, what God has made, and it declares His glory to you, and you actually understand that, you get that overflow with praise for Your Creator. It continues on, <clears throat> and you get the, uh, you know, not just about creation itself. But also about Jesus, right? And we said when we first started this morning that uh, we've gathered together to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, calling, calling Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Those, those are actually big claims. If you know what those words mean, those are those are big claims. But we believe it to be so, and that is why we gather each week as we consider. Uh, who he is, this is how we overflow in praise. So here's, here's the question though. Is who is Jesus? And how do we know this? So I'm saying he's Lord and Savior. We looked last week at how he is God in the flesh. He is, uh, the Word of God in flesh, made his dwelling among us, right? And we talked last week about how uh, some people will say, nah, I don't think so. I think Jesus, he was a good guy, whatever, but he never said, he never said, I am God. And it's true. And we mentioned that last week. If you look through and you just do a search for those words, I am God, you don't see Jesus saying that. But then I pointed out that on every page of the gospels, that is what Jesus is saying through word and deed. He says things that only God can say. He does things that only God can do. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, coming a couple of Wednesdays, we'll talk about it. We see, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then you turn to the Gospels, and you see Jesus walking on the water, and the disciples saying, who is this, right? Now, if any of y'all want to go ahead and give it a shot, <laughs> we can do that after the service today. But he's doing things only God can do. And he's saying to people, your sins are forgiven, and the people who hear this say, you can't say that. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone, right? And we go, right. Everything He's doing, everything He's saying, He's providing bread for the people in the wilderness. Well, who did that? That's what God does with the manna in the wilderness. Come on. Everything He's doing, everything He's saying, this is uh, God in the flesh. And we talked about it last week of um, this idea of, uh, of God kind of saying, okay, I've, I've told you and I've told you and I've told you. Now let me show you. This is who I am. This is what life is to be like. And so it is in Jesus that we have life. Now, here's the thing. I mentioned creation being, you know, when you are in creation, you see what all God has made. The, the more you study what all God has made, the more you are to just, over, just be overwhelmed and in awe and overflow with praise for the creator of all this, right? And yet, there are plenty of people who, who don't have that response. They don't, and I, I think it's, it's a sad thing, but they will study uh, creation and they will look, and it's like they miss the forest or the trees. They are so into the details. I cannot imagine looking through a telescope or a microscope, a microscope, and, uh, and not having that sense of awe and wonder. But some people do. They will look through those, and what comes into their, uh, into their heads and their hearts is just tables of facts and figures they've memorized. And you say, you you see this picture that's worth a thousand words and you're missing all the words. How are you missing all the words? It happens. When we look at creation, though, that is one of the things we call uh, general revelation. It's a way that God has revealed himself to everyone. And so Romans says, you know, so people are without excuse. Everybody can tell by what has been made. Something about who God is—he exists, and that He is uh, pretty powerful and creative, etc. cetera, et cetera. But there's another kind of revelation, of ways in which God has revealed Himself to us, uh, that is special revelation. And one of these is the Word of God, and uh, and by that I'm talking about Scripture. And when we read, when we read Scripture, we should have. Uh, the same kind of over, uh, kind of awe and wonder and being like overflowing with praise for the one who put this together. So the one who's communicated himself to us through these pages. And yet, it is also true that people will miss what that's all about as well. In fact, you can you can read the Bible in such a way that it brings you no closer to God. I don't know if you're aware of this. Because typically, if somebody becomes a Christian, you say, okay, what do I do now? Well, you read the Bible, that's one thing, right? And so it's assumed that well, reading the Bible then that will bring me closer to God. But it doesn't always. Let me tell you a story. We, we are getting to the Bible, by the way, in case you think I've forgotten it. I have not. But when I was uh, in middle school, I've told you this before. I was a terrible student. Uh, there was a a time where, you know, my mom had given me an ultimatum and said, "If you get one more zero, that was my thing. I just wasn't turning my stuff in. And she said, if you get one more zero on anything at all, then I'm going to cut off your beautiful mullet." She didn't say beautiful, but I knew she meant it. And so. Uh, She's getting ready to go for her next parent-teacher conference and she says to me before she leaves is there anything I need to know and I'm oh no there's nothing and there was nothing <laughs> she goes she comes back and I had managed in uh, four and a half weeks time to get sixteen zeros in one class that's a whole lot of nothing I was just doing nothing that's all I was doing so anyway uh, she comes home, the mullet is gone, there were many tears, and uh, fast forward many years. Years later, I do much better in school, <laughs> uh, things turn around, but now I have uh, a sister who has kids, and she calls me up one day, and she says, so I have this son, he's much younger at the time, so I have a son who seems like maybe he's heading down the same path you went down and if at all possible, I'd like to avoid that so now as an adult as somebody who's been through that and then come out of the other side as someone who has children of his own as how, what can I do, so you put the question to me this way, so thinking back on it now as an adult what could our mom have done that would have made the difference for you that's a good question And so I do, as I have often done with y'all in conversations to probably frustrate a lot of you. I stopped in the middle of the conversation and I just thought for a while. And I thought through all kinds of things that she could have done that she didn't do. And everything I came up with, I thought, no, that wouldn't work either. I know what I would have done there too. No, that wouldn't work either. And so finally what I had to say to her is, I'm sorry I don't think there's anything she could have done because I just didn't want to do it and I was that uh, determined to not do what I didn't want to do and so uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about Jesus coming across a man waiting by a pool of water and uh, to be healed and Jesus comes up to him and says do you want to get well And that's a good question when I was in middle school, I did not want to get well. And that was what made the difference. And my mom could do whatever she wanted to do to try to get me to want to be well. I didn't. And so uh, and so I continued down that path. Here's the thing. When it comes to reading the Bible and missing what it's all about, if you don't want to see it, you're not going to see it. If you don't want to really understand it, you're not going to understand it. And so you can read the Bible and find all kinds of neat patterns. And you can read the Bible and find all kinds of neat verses. And you can read the Bible and find all kinds of uh, codes or whatever, predictions for the future, and you can map it all out. You can find all kinds of things in the Bible. You can read the Bible and find all kinds of uh, rules that your children ought to do. You can find all kinds of things in there. And absolutely miss what the whole thing is about. This is a uh, a good caution for us. I'm going to do one. I'm going to one more example, and then we'll read this for real. This is uh, in the in the book of Jonah. Do you remember Jonah? Everybody knows of Jonah and the whale fish. Uh, Jonah the big fish, but uh, the big fish doesn't really show up much in Jonah. This is more about Jonah and God and his relationship with God. And one of the things that you see is when Jonah is uh, actually swallowed by the big fish and he's he's in it, this is chapter two of Jonah. You can read through, he prays while he's in the belly of the fish. He prays and you can read through this prayer and an awful lot of what he's praying (laughs) is coming straight from the book of Psalms. You know, I don't know how much Psalms I would have in mind while I'm in the belly of a fish. But Jonah did. Well, why does he have uh, psalms in his mind? Because he knew his Bible well, right? This was a guy who knew his Bible well. Then you get uh, to chapter 4, skip over chapter 3, in chapter 3 he goes and he uh, preaches the Nineveh and they repent. Chapter 4 then is his interaction with God again. And again, he's quoting from the Old Testament, he's quoting his Bible as he talks about why it is he didn't even want to go in the first place. And he says the reason he didn't want to go is because he said, I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is the way God had revealed himself to Moses in Exodus. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is who I am. And does Jonah know this? He knows it. Has it brought him closer to God? No. No. No, just knowing the information has not brought him closer to God because actually what it's done is it's made him hardened toward God. What he wants is for Nineveh to be destroyed and God says, no, I want Nineveh to be saved and Jonah says, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were like that. I read what you know the Bible says and I don't like that. And so this is what happens when we read the Bible with a hard heart that is not wanting uh, to actually be in a relationship, a good relationship, with our Creator. We can actually read the words, we can memorize the words, we can sing the words, and it's all just going through the motions and it's not bringing us any closer to God. Okay, you guys ready now to get into it? I know, we're ready to be done. Stop. Okay. This is John chapter five. And just so you know, I've already, I've already said most of what we're going to say. This is John chapter 5, uh, verses 31 through 47. This is when Jesus had gotten in, uh, in a bit of trouble with some of the leaders there because he was uh, healing somebody on Sabbath day. And they said, oh, you can't do that. That breaks one of God's rules. No, doesn't. But then, as he continues Uh, in his response to them. He says, starting in verse 31. He says, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his life. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As we read this passage today, what we are mainly reading review. Jesus is talking to people who are um, those who would self-identify as God's people. And said, that is who we are. And we are people who know his word. We are people who study his word. We are people who know it really, really well. And Jesus says, and you've missed it. You have missed what it was all about. Because all of it, all of the scriptures, have been pointing to me, testifying to who I am. And you're saying that you hold to those, and yet you're rejecting me. That can't be. It cannot be uh, both ways. And so he says, you saw there at the end, where it says, you know, I'm not going to, uh, what did he say? I, I'm not going to accuse you before the Father. He says, your accuser is, Moses, right? Your accuser is Moses, why? He says, uh, if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. Well, this is actually what we just read in Deuteronomy 18. Now, actually, a lot more than that, but one of the things that Moses wrote is Deuteronomy 18, where it says that God says he's going to send another prophet like Moses. He says, you must listen to him, right? And Jesus is saying, I am that one. And yet, you're rejecting me. Moses said, you must listen to him, and they're saying, no, we don't need to listen to you. This is why, uh, Jesus says that Moses is going to be their accuser. But I want us to hear, as Jesus is answering for these people, kind of who he is and how we know, that the way that he goes about it, he says it's He's not gonna have to tell them himself. He says, you know, if I were just saying, yeah, this is who I am, you know, one thing, anybody could say that. They said, I want you to look at the evidence. I want you to look at the evidence, and that's what I would challenge us all today. If, uh, if you feel like you are not close to Jesus, or if you're not really sure who He is, I would challenge you to look at the evidence. He says, John the Baptist, said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That was John's testimony about Jesus. That he was that Passover Lamb who takes away the, and the sacrificial Lamb, that takes away the sin of the whole world. He said, not only that, he said, the works that I do, that testifies and shows you who I am. And you can read through the Gospels and see, well, what did Jesus do? And what does that say about who he is? John often calls the things that Jesus is doing, signs because they're pointing to who he is. This is not only that, but the Father in heaven has testified about me. And we see that, uh, well, this happens several times and ways, but one of them is when Jesus was baptized. Remember what happened? You know, Moses stood at the edge of the Red Sea, and the uh, the waters were parted. People walked through on dry land. Jesus goes into the water, and heaven itself opens up. And the Spirit of God descends on him uh, like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, Behold, my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Right? So Jesus is saying, John the Baptist has testified about him, that the works he does testifies about him, that his Father in heaven has testified about him, and he says, and not only that, but even Moses and all of Scripture has testified about me. That's what it was all about. And so if you can look at all of this evidence about who Jesus is and still walk away saying, no, I think he was just some, you know, some guy. It indicates that where your heart is is very similar to where my heart was in seventh grade. That all the evidence can be there. Everybody can be doing everything they want to point in, nope, 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 I'm not, I refuse to see this is the rebuke that Jesus has for these Jewish leaders. He says, you have all the evidence before you. But can you make a right judgment? It depends on the heart. It doesn't depend on better evidence. And sometimes it's what you'll hear from people is, well, I, I need more information. I need more evidence. If God would just show me more. And Jesus is saying, it's all there. It is all there if you have the heart that is ready uh, to see. And that says there's a word of rebu- rebuke. And it is. But there's another part in this that I don't want us to miss. This is verse 34. Jesus has just said, you said to John, he's testified of the truth. He says, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. This is why Jesus is rebuking these guys. He's not saying, look, you had all the evidence, you refused to listen to it, shame on you. Why don't you go sit in the corner and feel bad for a while? <laughs> That's not his point at all. So I says, I'm not going to accuse you before the Father. No, he says, the reason I am rebuking you, the reason I'm telling you this, the reason I'm reminding you of what John said about I me, mean, the reason I'm representing the evidence to you is not so you feel bad about having missed it, it's so you can see it, so that you can be saved. Like, even in this rebuke, Jesus' heart is for his people. Jesus' heart is still love, it's still compassion for the people who have rejected him. He says, oh, but won't you be saved? Right? Won't you come to acknowledge uh, the evidence that is right in front of you? I mentioned earlier we're going to start our uh, Bible study again. We're going to, on Wednesday night, starting in the book of Genesis and going all the way through. And it would be pretty easy to uh, take a look at what Jesus says here about study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have life. Says these are the, scriptures, uh, the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so it would be easy to see a passage like that and say, oh, so Bible study is the problem, we just need to quit that and just, uh, just go to Jesus, right? No Bible, just Jesus. Just me and Jesus, no Bible. Don't, don't leave here thinking that. That is not what he's saying. He's saying these are the very scriptures that testify about me. And so, in other words, if you really want to get to know Jesus, you do need to read your Bible. But you need to read it in the context of having a relationship with Jesus. And you need to read the whole Bible, understanding that this is what it's all about, is having life in Him. not life in the Scriptures, life in Him, that the Scriptures has bring us closer and closer to Him when we read it with that heart. So as we begin our study on Uh, Wednesdays, that's what we're going to be doing. We'll be looking through the whole, the whole Bible, starting all the way in Genesis. And we'll be noting throughout, probably not every place, but as much as we have time for, we'll be noting how these particular passages are pointing us to Jesus. What these are saying about who Jesus is and what that means for us today. And what that means for us in the future. Uh, so again, I hope you'll be there for that. If not, I hope you'll do this on your own or with your church, wherever you live, or you'll do this with your family, or you'll do this in a small group of friends or whatever. Read your Bible this way, with a heart that's not closed off to the evidence that it presents, but understands it uh, as the words, as testimony, actually, to who Jesus is. And that in him we would have life. <clears throat> Take it to first John. First John chapter 5, starting verse 10. He says, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And I want to conclude with a uh, book by a pastor or our denomination, John Ortberg, and um, it's called, Who Is This Man? And in the early chapters of it, he talks about Jesus being a very different kind of person. He so said, You can tell this because he said, you know, you look at the three orienting questions, uh, you know, who are you? Uh, where do you live, and what year is this, you know? And he said, for him, his name is John. He was named because of the friend of Jesus. He lives in San Francisco, so it's named after Saint Francis, a man who is known for following Jesus. And then the year, I can't remember, 1950-something, and 98, I don't know. And he said, uh, which is a year that is determined by when Jesus was born. And so he said, you look at those three orienting questions in my life, and every one of them has Jesus at the center of it. It's like, who is this man that can have such a profound influence over everything, and that's just the beginning. Anyway, so here's the way he concludes this whole book kind of a spoiler but it's good since Jesus' life is not an abstract subject to be debated by experts it is an invitation early in Jesus' ministry a man named Nathaniel was skeptical about claims made on Jesus' behalf Nazareth can anything good come from there he asked Jesus was not offended by this Philip who was already following Jesus extended an invitation to Nathaniel that still goes out today come and see Said another way, put what Jesus said to the test. Run an experiment. We all learn from somebody. We all learn how to live from somebody. Our parents, our peers, our favorite writers, our appetites, our boss, or a vague combination of these. Try learning how to live from Jesus. Come and see. Whatever your ideas are about religion, whatever they might be, you can try being a student of Jesus. And that's a very good place to start. Jesus told Nathaniel, You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And he was referring to the Old Testament story of Jacob's ladder, the place where heaven and earth overlap. Try Jesus. Come and see. Do you know what Jesus said about anything? Try living accordingly. Take a stab at removing contempt from your life and see how life runs. See how well you're able to do it. Try living as if there is a Heavenly Father who cares for and listens to you. Try living without worry, one day at a time. You have to go through tomorrow anyway. Try it with Jesus. Come and see. The offer still stands. This offer of life in Jesus and of life with Jesus is the offer that still stands, but it's the offer that this whole book is about. And if we have the eyes to see, it's the offer this whole creation is about that we would have life with our Creator, that we would have life with our Redeemer, that we would know Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for all the evidence that you have presented uh, before us in all of creation, in the Scriptures, And most of all, in Jesus himself, revealing who you are, revealing the ways in which we fall short, and yet revealing your heart of the rescuer, of the Savior, who doesn't wish that we would perish, but that we would know life, that we would have it to the full as we live in and with you. Lord, I pray for all those who have heard this message this morning, God, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us minds to understand, that you would give us eyes to see the evidence that is before us, but God, most of all, that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives, to be ready to receive Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.